The temperature in my car read 105 degrees on that sweltering hot August day in San Antonio. My day had flown by in a flurry of activity, beginning with a men's Bible study that morning, followed by leading a worship service for the teachers and parents and students to kick off the beginning of the school year at St. Luke's School. Then a lunch with the wardens to plan for the vestry meeting that was going to occur at 7 o'clock that evening. After lunch, it was off to the hospital to see a lady who had gone into the hospital just the night before. Following that, I went back to the office to have a premarital counseling session with a young couple that was about to get married. At around 5 o'clock that afternoon, it dawned on me that it was my night to cook. I bolted out of the office, raced over to HEB, that would be the local version of our Harris Teeter, where I dashed through the store, placing items in the basket, and went directly to the checkout stand, where the clerk began to scan all the items. So preoccupied was I that I, I forgot to even say hello to the person who was checking my items out. And about halfway through the checkout, she looked at me and asked me this astonishing question, which I'll never forget. Do you like what you do? Now, that's usually a question that clergy don't get asked, do we, brothers? We really don't. They, everybody assumes, well, of course they like what they do. I was stunned. I couldn't recall a time that anybody had ever asked me that before. And to my surprise, I didn't give an answer. A minute later, I was paying the bill, and she persisted. Was that a difficult question I just asked you? Do you like what you do? Well, she handed my receipt to me. I picked up my bag of groceries, turned back to her, and said, It's all-consuming. It's all-consuming. Well, I got back to my car, turned the air conditioner on full blast, and said to myself, Bill Christian, what did you just say? You didn't say yes, and you didn't say no. You said, it's all consuming. Well, that's exactly what I was feeling that very day. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, life can be all consuming, can't it? Sometimes it seems as though we live from one surge of adrenaline to the next. We're busier now than we were a year ago, and we'll be even busier next year. One contemporary author, James Gleick, writes that in this generation, what we are witnessing is the acceleration of just about everything. Have you ever felt that way? Perhaps you're feeling that way today. Consumed and overwhelmed by life. Well, if that's the case, then you've come to the right place this morning. You've come to God's house where you can find respite and solitude from the frenetic pace at which your life and that of your family is moving. How we need to come to Jesus and to seek that kind of refreshment and peace wherever we feel consumed by life. But don't simply take my word for it. In a few minutes, you'll hear Brian say these words. Jesus himself says, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. I have to wonder, where can we possibly find time in all of this 
busyness and activity that we have in our lives to nurture our life and our souls? How can our love for Jesus and our faith in Him actually deepen without spending any time reading or studying His Holy Word, the Word of God, the Scriptures, or spending time in prayer and worship and fellowshipping with other believers in Christ, or even just taking the time to catch our breath, to stop and think, to meditate and to contemplate on the wonders of God's working in our lives and His marvelous plan of salvation for all of us and for the whole world. That plan that we know so well, God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that He did what? He gave. He gave His only begotten Son the best gift He could give. That when we believe in Him and the forgiveness He brings and the resurrection that He had, we shall obtain everlasting, eternal life. So how can we begin to slow down? To slow down and stop and smell the roses, spiritually speaking. Well, lest you think you're alone in this struggle, it's really not a new one. Even before this, the fastest moving culture that the world has ever known, <clears throat> throughout the ages, people were often distracted from engaging in spiritual matters, spiritual things. We see clear evidence of this in the story that you just heard about the two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were some of Jesus' closest friends. Both sisters had one thing in common. They wanted to honor and serve God with their true devotion toward His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet they had two very distinctive ways of serving God. Martha served Him with her hands. Mary served Him with her mind and her heart. Well, this morning, we're going to take a close look at how each of these two women served God in their own way and how we might learn from them to serve and honor God in the midst of a world and a life that has us moving at the speed of light in an all-consuming, breakneck pace. So let's begin with Martha. When we first encounter Martha in today's Gospel, it seems as though she's consumed in the fine art of hospitality. We learn from the text that she had just received Jesus as her guest in her home. If there's one area in which Martha excelled, it was this. She was the hostess with the mostest. She was the veritable Martha Stewart of her day with a real panache for stylish, elegant homemaking. She knew all the right things that needed to be done to welcome a special guest into her home, from cleaning, to arranging flowers, to setting the table with her best crystal and china and silver, to shopping for groceries, to slicing and chopping and, sh and cooking and baking and, of course, her forte to serving, serving others. That's what she enjoyed doing. You see, for her, everything had to be just right. Hospitality in the ancient Semitic world was taken very seriously. We heard that in today's reading from Genesis, where Abraham welcomed three strangers or guests into his tent. They were either angels or perhaps an image of the Holy Trinity. 
Abraham put out his best food, his best drink in front of all of his guests. And of course, we all know that when you welcome strangers into your home or into your tent, you're welcoming angels unawares. So Martha was right. She was right in showing this kind of welcome because hospitality is really a godly and noble virtue. St. Peter writes, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of you received a gift, use it to serve one another. Knowing full well who she was serving that day, Martha really wanted to shine. She wanted to give Jesus the absolute best hospitality she could possibly give. Now let's turn to Mary. While Martha was doing everything necessary to get dinner on the table, her sister Mary was attending to Jesus. No, not in the kitchen, but in the living room. Unlike Martha, Mary's thinking was not concerned with what she could do for Jesus, but with what Jesus could do for her. She was there to learn from him, to draw into a deeper relationship, a more loving relationship with him. She was completely absorbed in his teaching. She didn't want to miss a single word that he said, so she gave him her undivided attention. Mary's posture seems to be all the more remarkable when one considers that in the first century, women weren't exactly welcome to discuss theology. There was no theology on tap for them, was there, Brian? No, people had the idea that that kind of learning was for men only. Some rabbis would permit women to study the Torah, but forbade them to sit at their feet in any kind of formal teaching or instruction. For Jesus, however, it seemed to be just as important to teach women how to become a disciple of his as it did to teach men that. So while Martha was busy in the kitchen preparing a wonderful feast for her, her special guest, Mary was already having one, a feast that is. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, feasting on his words, the very bread of life. Now let's go back to Martha again. As Jesus went on teaching, did you notice something? Martha became increasingly agitated. Something was going on inside of her. Luke writes that Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha was not merely serving. She was distracted by much serving. And her distraction gives way to what? To self-pity. Self-pity. Wait a minute. I'm doing all the work here. And can you believe it? My sister won't even lift a finger to help me out which is to say that her self-pity had also led her to something even more toxic than that. Resentment. I can just see this scene playing out, can't you? Martha is seething, probably pacing back and forth between the kitchen and the living room, banging pots and pans together in the kitchen to get her sister's attention, but to no avail. 
Mary is simply mesmerized with Martha's special guest. After all, it was Martha's house, and she was the one who invited Jesus as her special guest. So the more she slaved away in the kitchen, the more she began to feel sorry for herself, and the resentment toward her sister just began to build and build and build, and it was like a pressure cooker that was about to blow its lid. We know that feeling, don't we? We all do. Because like Martha, we start sulking whenever we feel like we're the only ones doing all the work. How often haven't we felt as though we're a part of the 20% that do 80% of the work? It just wasn't fair. Martha was thinking, I shouldn't have to be doing all this work by myself if only my lazy sister would get back into the kitchen where she belongs. But did you notice, even with all of her not-so-subtle hints, Martha never, never once asks Mary to help. Instead, what does she do? She asks Jesus to intercede for her. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me out. Psychologists refer to this kind of behavior as triangulation. You know the term. I was a parish priest for many years before I figured this one out. A parishioner would come to my office and say, I was speaking to someone the other day, and they're really bothered by this or that in the church. You can fill in the blanks. Sermons are too long. Liturgy's a little old-fashioned and stodgy. Didn't like the descant they did on that one hymn. You know the picture. That someone would invariably add, I don't feel that way myself, of course, but I thought you might want to know this. Well, eventually I would ask, well, who is it? Often they wouldn't tell me. But I learned to say, just bring them to me. Come to my office, and the three of us will have a talk about this together and hear out their concerns. That rarely happened. So Martha was attempting to triangulate. And just how does Jesus respond to her complaint? He answers her by saying this, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. I think it's important in all of this to see that Jesus loved Martha just as much as he loved Mary. He loved Mary by protecting her time with him and by praising the choice that she had made to sit at his feet and to listen to his words. But he also loved Martha because of the way that he spoke to her, gently calling her back to attention, Martha, Martha, and gently rebuking her for being so anxious and worrisome and troubled. St. Paul tells us, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Martha was anxious about most everything. She had a to-do list as long as her arm. 
And she couldn't stop worrying about all the things she didn't have the time to complete, to accomplish. She was all consumed by her ever-so-active, busy life. Well, I wonder, is that a picture of you? Is that a picture of you? I know it is of me from time to time. Though the longer I'm in ministry, the more calm I become, though some would disagree with that. But we all have this very frenetic, busy type of personality. Is that where you find yourself today? Living with a distracted heart, filled with anxiety, worried and troubled about most everything. If so, then here's some really good news. Behind every anxiety, God has a promise for us. When we're feeling sorry for ourselves because we've suffered some major setback in our life, or we find that we're snapping at people over the littlest of things that bother us, we need to ask ourselves, is that what is really worrying us and anxious? Is that what's causing this worry and anxiety in us? And at that moment, we need to recall the promises of God that speak directly to these anxieties. If we're worried about not having enough of all that we need, we need to remember God's promise that He will provide for our necessities and He will provide for them even before we ask. And He knows our ignorance in asking. That was in the collect for today. If we're worried about what people will think of us, we need to remember God's promise that He accepts us and loves us in Jesus Christ. How? Just the way we are. Even when we disobey and break His commandments. You see, there's absolutely nothing we can do to make God love us any less than He already does. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to make Him love us anymore. If we're worried about what will happen to us in the future, we need to remember God's promise that He's going to love us up until the end. St. Paul reminds us that in Romans chapter 8, that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the context of this entire story, we also should remember that for Jesus, His time on this earth was short. He was, after all, on his way to Jerusalem. As Andrew preached about four weeks ago, I think it was, his face was fixed toward Jerusalem, which meant that he was on his way to his passion, his death on the cross to take away the sins of the world, your sins and mine. And that was weighing heavy on his heart and mind. And it was Mary who was focused on listening to him pour out his heart and soul to her, and to tell her all about those terrible days that were looming out ahead of him. Martha did not realize that Jesus' remaining time on this earth was so short. What she really needed to be doing was to sit down and to listen to some of the last words that Jesus would ever say. Dinner could wait. There was an urgency and a priority about Jesus' message that day, which Mary recognized, which is why Jesus told Martha this, Mary has chosen the good portion. 
the good portion, and that shall never be taken away from her. Well, just like Mary and Martha, there is only one thing that is necessary for each and every one of us. Remember, it's not about anything that we can ever do for God, save that which we do out of love and devotion and commitment to Him and faithfulness to Him for what He has done for us. It's what He has done for us, and it's what He continues to do for us. St. Paul said this, that God is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. On the contrary, when we find ourselves in desperate need of Him, the one thing needful is for us to receive the Word of God. And that Word, with a capital W, is Jesus Himself. You see, it's through His Word that God gives us the saving knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, that He died on the cross to take away our sins, that He rose again from the dead three days later, that we might have the hope, the promise, the assurance, yes, the certainty, the guarantee of everlasting life. For Abraham, in the passage from Genesis, the one thing needful was to scurry around and rustle up a veal supper for his three heavenly guests, and then to sit down and listen to the good news they had to tell him that in a year, he and his wife, who were in their 90s, were about to have a baby. For Martha, the one thing needful was to simply turn off the stove and sit down with Mary at Jesus' feet and listen. Listen carefully to His words. Let's be honest with each other. None of us are either just like Martha or just like Mary, but we do have aspects of both of them inside of us. The person who wants to be active, the person who wants to serve, and the person who wants to work hard, and the person who wants and needs to be listening, contemplative, and receiving. How can we ever possibly balance these two attributes in our lives? Far too often our focus in our hyperactive culture is on activity and performance, on how much we can get done, how much we can accomplish, and just how much we can cram into a day. When that becomes the world that we get caught up in, what happens? We successfully manage to crowd out any time whatsoever that we would spend with the Holy One. On the other hand, when we actively seek to listen to Christ through our daily reading and studying of God's holy word, through saying our prayers every day, and through worshiping and fellowshipping with other Christians in this family, this community of faith, we will develop a much stronger, deeper relationship with Jesus, and in turn, stronger and deeper relationships with one another. I want to summarize what we've learned from Martha and Mary today. From Martha, we've learned that Jesus is the cure for many of our all-consuming distractions. The peace that He brings into our lives is the cure for our anxiety. As we learn to trust His presence within us 
even in the midst of our many worries, bothers, and concerns. The love he gives us is the cure for our self-pity as we learn to forget about ourselves and begin to serve others in his name. His mercy is the cure for our resentment as we offer others the same forgiveness that God in Christ offers us. This peace, love, and mercy is, in fact, the good portion that Jesus offers to Mary's and Martha's everywhere, and it cannot be taken away from us. From Mary, we've learned that what Jesus prizes the most is our friendship, our friendship, our fellowship, our time spent with Him. He wants us to be with Him and to come to know Him intimately. He wants us to give ourselves to Him just as He gives Himself to us. Mary and Martha needed each other, didn't they? Just as we need each other, but not as much as we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. That's our primary need. So today I leave you contemplating this one very serious question. Have you chosen the good portion? Have you chosen the good portion, like Mary did, which is Jesus Christ himself? If you have, then no one, no one can ever take that away from you. May God grant that for all of us, for Jesus' sake.